Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So in today's text, the kingdom of heaven is compared to a great banquet feast to which many were invited. But what happened? What happened? For many of the invitees, the host got a very disheartening response. He got a pack of alibis and excuses. Let us hear our Lord speaking to us this morning and let us make certain that the response to the invitation of the kingdom doesn't amount to just so many excuses to downright contempt, but that instead our response to God's kingdom is a warm and joyous, wholehearted yes. This parable of Jesus is loaded with meaning. First, it tells us that access to God's kingdom is by invitation only. That shows us the nature of the Christian faith. First and above all, Christianity is an offer, not a demand. It's not something that begins with human striving or behavior. It begins with the goodness of God, with his, in his intense activity and loving concern for us. He prepares the great banquet, then he invites his guests, and then once invited, and not before, the guests can come and enjoy it. Being a Christian is the result of God's loving activity and invitation. And this is the good news. We are invited. When God sent his son, Jesus, into the world, he did so to prepare the banquet. Jesus, by his birth, assumed our humanity that he might become one of us and help us. Jesus, by his holy life, by his teachings, made God known to us especially in his grace and mercy, that he's reaching out to us to call us into his love. Our church's purpose is primarily to tell people that God's feast of salvation is all prepared and that we are, or they are, invited. We are invited to believe in Jesus as our Savior and to accept forgiveness of sins in his name. We are invited to come into his kingdom to accept his lordship over our lives and in doing so, again, we're accepting his invitation. When we receive Jesus as our Savior, we are showing up at the Lord's house. When we receive baptism, we are taking our place at God's table and when we become obedient to God's word and spirit, we are dining on the delicacies of the kingdom and the Spirit is even now enriching us with eternal food. We are even now partaking in eternal life. So a member of our congregation gave me this pamphlet. She and her husband received this, I don't know how many decades ago when they joined this church. And it talks about my church privileges, and my church responsibilities. So let me read some of those. So my church is the 
place where I have an appointment with God. God reveals to me his will and proclaims his love in his blessed word and the sacraments. I can enjoy the thrill of the unity of spirit by joining with my fellow redeemed in public worship and prayer. I can be assured of the forgiveness of my sins, commune most intimately with my risen and glorified Redeemer, and experience an unparalleled spiritual oneness with my fellow communicants at the Lord's table. I can find counsel for my problems, comfort in sorrow, and companionship in loneliness. And my church responsibilities are, by uniting with my church, I shall endeavor to attend church regularly and to have, take full part of the worship service, to commune faithfully at the Lord's table, to witness for Christ by word and example at every opportunity, and to invite the unchurched to share the privileges of my church with them, to pray for my church and its work, to read my Bible in private, and to hold devotions regularly. And finally, to support my church's local and worldwide work, cheerfully with a liberal portion of my income. So I am extending the invitation again this morning. And long ago, an angel extended the invitation to everyone. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. When our kids, and we all know that, get invited by a school friend to a birthday party or other type of festivity, they come bouncing home from school eager to tell us the good news. Their faces glow with the joy of being invited, of being remembered, of getting included on the list of the invited ones. They know a good thing when they hear it. How tragic, though, is it that mankind has not responded like children to the joyous invitation of Christ's kingdom. It's interesting to note that in the parable, Jesus took for us, took for his examples, people who wiggle their way out of involvement in God's kingdom, and there's two cases he uses. One, where they put business affairs first, and the one where domestic affair comes first. And that's about the way it goes today. Business matters, financial matters, kids' sports events come first. This is one of the most serious problems of our day, that for, that for multitudes of people, the living God and his eternal kingdom are no longer important. Perhaps they don't exactly hate God. They even approve of religion in a vague sort of way. There is a deep unwillingness, reluctance, stubborn independence in their hearts which is very adept at making excuses when it comes to serving Jesus Christ and seeking first his kingdom. And what do people do when they offer God excuses and evasions instead of trust, love and the obedience of their hearts? Well, they hurt themselves. The gracious host, snuffed by the invited guests, exclaimed, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. In God's world, the punishment generally fits the crime. Jeremiah says, Your own wickedness will correct you, and your backsliding will rebuke you. 
people who have no time for God in this life will find that in the world to come they have endless time but they will never see God ever the penalty for rejecting God's goodness and love is to live without God's goodness without his love the penalty for offering God excuses, evasions, alibis is to have those excuses, evasions and alibis become written into the fiber of their personalities so that eventually they end up with an excuse for a life and an excuse for a Christian character instead of the likeness of Christ. We read in Psalm 53, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt and have committed, and have committed abominations. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There's none who does good. No, not one. Because of our sinful nature, we cannot make the faith and the gospel our number one priority. God does that through the preaching of his word and the gifts he gives in the sacrament. But we make choices every day. Some turn us towards the faith, and some tend to lead us away. We want to consider what the things we do and the choices we make, that what, uh, what they mean and where they may lead us, and try hard to be deliberate and faithful Christians. I myself struggle with these things in my life, and especially in my ministries. And sometimes I'm aware, usually after the fact, that I have made different choices that I think I should have made. But those are the moments where I can thank my Lord for knowing that I can repent and He does forgive me. If I have those moments, I am confident that you also have them. So I know I need to remind you that your sins are forgiven and that God loves you and will never forsake you. Our gospel lesson this morning urges each of us to consider the plight of those characters in the parable and to examine our own lives to see if we are drifting towards the same sort of trouble one way to approach that is to ask ourselves, what is my excuse? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.